research says that on average, daily, we say something around the region of 16,000 words each. And that's both for men and women. There isn't any sort of research that says anything else but that. As I know some of you are going to say that. It's literally for men and women, we say on average around 16,000 words. And as these poets kind of posing uh, through their words, is sometimes we can think, well, well, words don't really matter. They can seem a little bit like passing air. And yet actually all of us know that words carry with them immense meaning. They convey emotions and can impact the hearer and the speaker. There's this childlike rhyme that gets spoken of schools that says, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And somehow, parrot fashion, we say it and we think, oh yeah, yeah, words will never hurt me, and yet we know deep down that they do. And something seems untrue that's been spoken, because words have power. And it's into that context that we're going to dive back in the series that we're in, which is entitled Fruit That Lasts, where we're discovering week on week since February that actually this new life that we have in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection that he's offered us through us putting our trust in him is actually going to change the way we live. It's going to give us this life that's characterized in different uh, ways that, if you like, like fruit that our life is going to bear. And we've discovered through this these verses in Galatians 5 that become so nourishing to us of how our life is to be characterized. Not through ways that we bolt on behaviors on our outside, but rather through an inward transformation of understanding that God in himself by the Holy Spirit is at work in us, seeking to lead us in a way of how our life is to be characterized. And so for the penultimate week, I want to look at just Galatians 5, 22, 23, and then we'll launch from there. It says this, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This morning, I want to continue where Mike left us off last week, looking at this whole fruit, this whole way that's to characterize our lives of self-control. And we're going to look at it this week and next. But if you, like, if you remember last week, Paul, uh, Mike expressed that self-control isn't to do with just denying something or mastering ourselves over something, but rather is an understanding that our appetites are only truly satisfied in Jesus. And therefore, we're to live being led by the Spirit continuously to Jesus, not set, kind of settling for second best with our appetites and giving them to things that are just temporary and f- f- kind of offer a, a, a kind of immediate satisfaction but soon it's like a, a kind of Chinese meal. I love Chinese food but I don't know about you but often I find with the Chinese food that I'll eat it and I feel like I'm full and then an hour later I suddenly feel hungry again and I'm back at the takeaway nourishing myself again and that will go through till breakfast the following morning. Yes, I am someone who eats the takeaway for breakfast. Um, but in it, it's, it can feel like that. Sometimes we can give ourselves to things that feel like they satisfy, but it's only temporary. And the Spirit's working in us. And actually, self-control here is to understand the satisfaction to the appetite you have is only found in Jesus. And this morning, what I want us to do is that backdrop of understanding that our words matter, that words have power, to look at how self-control, therefore, impacts them. See, words do matter. 
Jesus cuts the heart of this when he is addressing this whole issue in Luke 6, where he just simply writes this, or simply says this. It's Luke 6, verses 43 uh, to 45. And Jesus says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. See, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. I do love Jesus sometimes, but he just says the... I love Jesus, obviously, all the time, but sometimes when... <laughs> see, none of you picked up on that. You're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus sometimes. No, no, we love him all the time. But, you know, I just love some of that, how he just expresses it. I just say, well, you wouldn't expect to pick figs from thorn bushes. And you think, oh, yeah, we wouldn't. It's like you'd expect them to be picked from fig trees. Just stating the obvious, yet getting into our minds as he does it. And he says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Here's the bit. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, Jesus cut straight to the chase, if you like, and says, actually, if you want to be those who bear fruit, we need to understand that as we bear fruit in our lives, it reveals everything about us. The fruit kind of reveals kind of where we're planted, where we're founded. And therefore, if we're those who've said, yeah, Jesus is at the center of my life, my life is founded on him, actually, everything about our life should point to that because it can only ever bear fruit that's founded on that foundation. Jesus said, it can't be like that. You can only get apples from apple trees. You'd never go to an apple tree expecting oranges. Therefore, someone who's founded on Jesus, you'd expect to see fruit of that founding on Jesus. And for someone whose life that isn't founded on Jesus, why go expecting to find fruit that's there that that is about Jesus? Why go putting on them saying, you should be living like this? Because the key is their foundation. And Jesus then says, well, if we're on about saying, well, our life reveals where we're founded, our characteristics of our life, our, our fruit reveals that, actually we need to understand that a key way to understand how that's fruit revealed, that fruit is revealed is through our words. Our words reveal the fruit. Our words reveal not just the fruit, but actually reveal our heart, reveal the store place where everything's coming from. If you like, Jesus is saying that actually our words convey our appetites. Our words convey our appetites and our desire where we want them to be satisfied. And at this point, I don't know about you, but I feel pretty uncomfortable. I know as I've read these verses, I just thought, man, Jesus, you don't ever beat around the bush. You get straight to the heart of it. And you expose me, Adrian Hurst, for who I am often just broken, often not expressing what I want to express, often being loose with my words, thinking, man, I've got 16,000 of them a day. Hey, what does it matter? Actually, Jesus said it matters. It matters because it reveals everything about you. And for me, I find that uncomfortable. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're starting to feel uncomfortable. And it's these moments as we begin to feel uncomfortable and I can start to feel I'm unraveling and maybe you're starting to feel that you're unraveling. And at this point, I could suddenly say, well, bang, what are we going to do about it then? Actually, it's in these moments that we don't suddenly get motivated to kind of suddenly change some outward talking 
say, okay, well, I won't talk like that. I won't say those things. I'll think them, but I won't say them. That's actually what Jesus always wants to do is transform inside. You know, it's from that store inside that actually our words are produced. Therefore, let's deal with the store. Let's pause for a moment. Pause for a moment and not look inward, but rather look outward. Look outward to one who reveals what the fruit is of the words that we're meant to speak of alike. See, God is a God of words. You discover that throughout the Bible, that God is a God of words. And God's words seek to purely do, if you like, if you narrow it down, two things. At this point, you're thinking, man, are you limiting it literally to two things? Well, I'm going to from the morning. You can argue with me afterwards. But I'd say that if you read it, and I'm going to show us from beginning to end how this works out, that actually you can, can not limit God, but you can reveal the wonder of God through two expressions of how God uses his words. He uses his words to, one, create, create life, and two, declare, declare what is good. Declare that he is good and that he's after our well-being, after our good. And so you see it from the very beginning. So in Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, you, you find from verse 1 onwards this description of God's creation story. It's this amazing poem kind of revealing just the wonder of how God's involved in creation. It says, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God spoke, and what? Created light. That through his word, he spoke and created. And then what does he do? Well, having created through his word, he then speaks through his word and says, Oh, it's good. So you find at the very beginning, at the very beginning of creation, we find that God is creating through his word, and God is declaring through his word what is good. You then kind of journey through the Old Testament. You find that God then groups a people to himself. So that's, I'm going to use you to reveal me to the whole of the world. And how I'm going to do that is I'm going to, what, create in you a way to live. A way to live that's going to be around these commands that I'm going to give you. Commands that aren't there to put a weight on your back, but rather are meant to produce life within you. Because I want to declare through you that you're mine and that I'm good. So God uses his word again to what? To create and declare. You then journey through and you find that that people couldn't quite live up to what God had expected them to do. No person could. But they were going to bring out of them one person who could, who wasn't just a man, but was God, who was Jesus. And you find it like the volumes turned right up at this point. And the volumes turned up at a point where God says, actually, I'm going to speak through myself, coming on earth, in order that everyone would what? See that I create through my word? and declare through my word. So what do we find? We find that Jesus does that throughout his life. You find him in a room with some friends, and suddenly the roof is kind of chipped away, and it's not his home, really. He's living there with someone else's home, and the roof's chipped away, and someone's lowered through the roof on a mat and set before Jesus. At that point, you don't find that Jesus speaks and says, what are you doing? Jesus looks at him and says, what? get up, take up your mat and go. He creates new life. This guy who's completely lame, cannot move, cannot get himself into the building, is now told you can pick up your mat and leave the building. But he doesn't leave it there. He then declares and says, actually, I don't want you just to leave with your mat. I want to say you're forgiven. I declare that I'm good and that God is good and he can forgive. 
You then find it later on that Jesus is just walking down a street and a crowd are around him and suddenly a woman stretches out in shame of just saying, I don't think anyone wants to be around me because I'm unclean. I'm someone who cannot stop bleeding. In that culture, that was exceptionally unclean. She stretches out, wanting to be avoided, touches Jesus, immediately healed. Jesus sees her and says, who touched me? Friends of his are saying, well, look around, man. There's loads of people touching you. He says, no, 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 there's someone. This lady steps forward and says, it's me. Jesus says, I've created new life in you. You'll be free. You can live free. But I, I don't want you to leave like this. I want to declare something over you. I declare that now you are clean. You're not an outcast anymore. You're someone who's welcomed in. That Jesus says, I want to declare that actually God is one who who can deal with not just the outward expression of illness, but also with the inward state of feeling, I'm unclean. And actually, God says, no, you're clean. You're good enough. When Jesus creates, he declares, you find there's a guy who can't work out how he can see Jesus. He's quite a short guy. And so what he does is he climbs up a tree, climbs up a tree so that he can just get a a, a glimpse of who Jesus is. No one likes him because this guy's a tax collector. Who likes tax collectors? Uh, uh. You know, still the case nowadays. Sorry if you're a tax collector, you're very welcome here, but we know the deal. Um, (laughs) We love what taxes do, we just don't like paying them. Go with it. Um, You've got this guy and he's a tax collector and he's hidden up a tree. He doesn't think anyone wants him to be there. No one wants to make space for him to see Jesus, but he wants to see Jesus. What does Jesus do? He sees him up the tree and so goes and speaks to him. Kind of creates a whole new life. Says, hey, I want to come to your house. You welcome me. You're not an outsider. You're not someone who doesn't fit. I want to be with you. Go and grab all your friends because I want to be with them too. Let's have a party at your house. And then he says, he's declaring, he says, I create this new way of life that actually everyone's able to get to God. And he declares and says, says actually, I've come not for those who think they're healthy. I've come for those who know they're sick. Who knows they just feel on the outside. I've come to say that they are welcome in. Everyone is accepted. So the volume's ramped up at Jesus. And we haven't got time to keep going, but we'll pause now then and jump. So we've gone the beginning, we've gone the commandments, that covers kind of the people of Israel. We've then got Jesus, and then we get to the very end, Revelation. Revelation 22, chapter 22, very end of the Bible. And this is what Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. See, Jesus, as he speaks at the end of the Bible, he does what? He creates hope. This isn't the end of the story. Isn't that Jesus has evacuated the planet, and one day he'll rescue us from it, and we'll never be around this dirty planet again. No, Jesus is coming back to it. Because he's fully committed to this planet and everything that's inhabited on it. Because he wants to renew it all. And so he creates hope through his word. He says, I'm coming back. But he doesn't just create hope. He also declares. He says, I'm not just any person. I'm good. I'm the one who embodies life. I'm the beginning and the end. I am eternal life. And I'm going to give it to anyone who will receive it. See, God's word always creates and always declares. See, what does our word reveal? See, what appetites do our words reveal? Because you see, it's with that backdrop of Jesus saying that actually 
You know, the fruit that we show, the words that we speak reveal where we're founded. It's with that backdrop of understanding that God is always one who's what? Creating through his words, declaring through his words. That Jesus says, is, is that what you reveal through your voice? Is that what you reveal through your words? See, if I'm honest, I don't. And my guess is, if you're honest, you don't. I'm not saying we don't ever. I just wonder how much we do. You see, Jesus wants us to understand, and he makes it uncomfortable sometimes. He wants us to understand where is our appetite at? What is the words that we're speaking revealing about our appetite? You see, I wonder whether so often the words that I'm speaking reveal more about an appetite rather than creating of tearing down. Maybe it's through the way I'm responding anger. Maybe it's through the humor I use towards others and about others. Maybe it's through the way I point faults of others, point the faults out of others. I wonder whether not only is it through sometimes the way I tear down rather than create life, I wonder whether my words often are more about me declaring how good I am rather than seeking to declare to others how they could be more good, how they could be made more good, how, they, how I could declare more of for their well-being. You see, so often I can maybe arrive and, and talk about what's going on in my life, how I'm doing, rather than seeking to reveal something about what's going on in theirs and how could they know more of God's well-being in their lives. And maybe at this point you think, well, is this just a, a kind of mass help group for Adrian? Well, partly it is, because whenever we speak here we're speaking to ourselves. We're not kind of some sort of us and them mentality. It's never that. But I just wonder whether I'm not alone. I'd go out on a limb and just reckon that I reckon all of us feel like this sometimes. I reckon that all of us use our words like this sometimes. If you don't believe me, just think about the last 24 hours and think about how you've spoken to or about other people. And my guess is within that 24 hours, you'll find some of this stuff. So then is it that we just simply just ignore it? Is it just simply that we say, well, okay, I better not do that anymore. I better not talk about myself as much. I better not uh, kind of look to tear down. I'll, I'll try and create more. I'll try and create more. I'll try and be positive. That's what I'll do. I'll wake up every morning and think, positive. Positive feelings towards other people. And when someone winds me up, positive to them. But it never works, does it? Because it, it only kind of runs for a bit. And then we kind of get provoked too much. And then someone finally pushes the button of all buttons. And it breaks the camel's back. And we think, poof. It's all out. Well, like Homer Simpson in The Simpsons, where he's educating Bart, his son, of how you deal with emotions. And he says this. He says, what you do is you keep pushing them down. And you keep pushing them down until at one point, someone does something and you're able to let go of it all. And you blow up at them. Man, that's not what we're called to do. And it's somewhere there's this lie that says that's how we should live. Now, actually, it's meant to be that we understand that there's an appetite that's trying to be satisfied that's actually governing all of those ways that we're speaking it could be it's an appetite for justice 
It might be an appetite to know that we're loved. It might be to know that we're accepted. It might be in order that we'd know that we're understood. It might be in order that we'd know comfort. It might be that we feel guilt or shame of what we've done or what others have done to us in a misuse of our and their freedom. And what we find is our appetite for those things is satisfied for our words that we speak. So suddenly I'm really cross with that person because of how they're acting, because I just don't think it's just. How come they get away with it and not me? How come they can keep earning that amount and I don't seem to get as much? Just a coarse example. It might be because actually some stuff was said to us in our past and it's just taken root. We just think, man... I can't ever allow anyone near him. Like what Andrew spoke about, I've, got, I've had to create this way of surviving life. I can't let anyone close. And therefore, I'll continuously bat them off my, my voice. It might be that I give the impression that I'm the most secure person on the planet. Man, look at me. Man, I can walk on water. Knowing that inside, we just know we've already drowned. So we put this image up, and it's that that Jesus wants to say, no, the appetite's there. Don't look to something else to satisfy. Don't use your words to convey that appetite, looking for it to be satisfied by where you're looking. Rather, look somewhere else. Look to a word that satisfies. John 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God was word. The word became flesh. Sometimes you think, man, John, where do you get this stuff from? This is just nuts. Oh, it's from God. Um, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. That's Jesus he's speaking of. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When it speaks about his glory, John is revealing and remembering, saying we saw Jesus, we saw what he did, but we saw what he ultimately did on the cross and his resurrection. That was Jesus in his glory. He says, what? We want to know a word that truly satisfied? Truly satisfies? Well, the, the word that truly satisfies is God himself, who is, in his essence, word. Remembering that what God always does through word is create and declare. That Jesus, in his very essence, is the word. He's one who creates new life and declares of God's goodness and his want for our well-being. Through his very existence, so he comes on earth and he reveals that in bodily form. Sometimes we can glibly read, read things. Sometimes it just blows our mind. Some things blow my mind. Word? Yeah, I can think. I'm speaking words. But God is a word. And then, then he comes in, f- in flesh, in form. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that seems obvious. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Word, flesh, yeah, yeah, get that. No, that's just mind-blowing. That's kind of the moment where you think, I can't contain you, God. I can't box you up thinking, oh, that's who you are. You're one who is Word. The very essence of what is able to be spoken and create and declare. And yet you came as one who was spoken and declared and created and came in bodily form as Jesus. That blows my mind. I think, God, you are amazing. And that God as word did what? Jesus, what he created life. Through his life, death, and resurrection, anyone who puts their trust in him gets what? Gets a new life that Jesus has created. That Jesus then declares through his life, death, and resurrection for anyone who's put their faith and trust in him that out of his goodness, he makes us good. 
that we're declared what unconditionally loved, accepted, forgiven, that he is able to take away our guilt and our shame. He's the word that can only truly satisfy. He's the word that we're meant to feast on with our appetites in order that we'd store it in within us. In order that within our hearts will be stored he who is the word that truly satisfies. In order that out of that place, we would then speak. From that place of satisfaction in who he is. Not self-denial of our appetite of what we so hunger for. That's not good news. Follow Jesus and just forget it. No, follow Jesus because he resolves and restores everything. That's good news. So for us, we're left with this point of understanding that it's from that place of understanding that we get to be satisfied by he who is the word. That we get to live from that place of self-control in our words. You know, for some of us, we need to get to that point of saying, well, do I truly believe that Jesus is able to satisfy me with all that I'm looking for? Is he the one who can do this? And for you, that, that's where you pause. And you think, that's enough for me, Adrian. You, know, you blew my mind a bit with thinking God's word and now his flesh is Jesus. That's kind of, what do I think about that? Then I'm thinking, yeah, do I think that he can satisfy me? That's enough. Well, pause. You allow that to percolate in your mind. For those of us who've come to the knowledge and understanding that Jesus is the one who satisfies every appetite we have, for us, I then say, let's push on then. Let's be self-controlled in our words. That doesn't mean that we repress. It doesn't mean that we just repress how we're feeling. So when someone pushes our button, we think, Homer Simpson, forget. Keep going. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Something else happens. Something doesn't quite go our way. I don't know, someone makes a decision at work in uni about us. We think, man, but don't you know who I am? And this doesn't come on my way. And, oh, no, don't worry about it. Let's just keep going. Someone does something that really hurts us. Oh, don't worry. Let's just keep going. No, it isn't that. It isn't that we repress it. It's rather that we confess it. We confess it to one who can hear it. Therefore, we come to Jesus with our appetite, knowing that only he can satisfy. And the Psalms are full of people who understood that God only could satisfy their appetite. Therefore, they continually spoke to him. God, I feel forsaken. God, my enemies are against me. And I look to you. You're my help. And I know that you'll come and meet me. So we come with that sense of understanding that, that actually the, the Bible's full of people who understood this isn't a, a repression of our, uh, our appetite, but rather a, a confession to one who can do something about it. You know, the writer of Hebrews gets to this point saying, well, who do we approach? We don't approach one who does kind of had no clue about how we feel. We actually approach one who understands fully who we are and what we do. And we approach him and knowing that he's full of grace and mercy to us. Therefore, we confess. We come with our appetite. So as people affect us, as life doesn't go our way, as we're dealing with our past, we come and we confess it to Jesus, knowing that he will satisfy. Now, for some of us, we may need others to stand with us to help us in that confession. But out of that place of living, confessing, it's then that we then start to speak our words to others. And what do we do? Well, we do what God always does. We seek to create life just going to dwell on a few verses in Hebrews. Hebrews 3.13 says this, encourage one another daily. That seems a pretty good place to start, doesn't it? How do we create life? Well, we seek to build one another up. We seek to build 
everyone up daily. Really? Daily? Is there a quota of how many building up things I should say a day? No. You just do it. It's like a lifestyle. If you understand, God, out of everything you've done for me, as you've satisfied my appetite, I continue on to live my life, seeking to build others up, not to tear others down. So we seek to live daily, building, creating life through encouraging others, building people up. We also then seek to live declaring. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. See, in that dwelling of the storehouse of the satisfaction of our appetite that Jesus has given, what it then turns into is what? A declaration of who? Not a declaration of, hey, I'm all right. I'm doing good. No, a declaration of Jesus is amazing. And so I can't help but declare your praise. I can't help but gather throughout my moment and just remember, Jesus, what you've satisfied in me. I just keep saying you and you alone are good. You and you alone satisfy. I can't help but just keep praising you. But also can't help but declare your goodness to others. I realize that the best way I could create life in others is to keep pointing them to the one who can truly satisfy. So it isn't that I talk about Jesus because I have to. I don't talk about Jesus because I get paid to. I leave this church and I do get paid to do this believe that or not and I get paid to do this and and then tell people about Jesus oh yeah better get my quota in today and they tell a few people about Jesus no I tell people about Jesus because I love to because I think Jesus you're amazing I want to declare just how wonderful you are and the only way I can do that is I don't want to just do it with people who already know about that I want to do it with people who don't know anything of it I don't kind of ram it down the throat saying hey you don't produce the fruit that Jesus should produce in your life no I say hey do you know how wonderful Jesus is this is what Jesus looks like for me. So I get to declare, proclaim the wonder of who Jesus is. So we finish off with this question, and then we'll end. Have we received the word that satisfies? Have you? Have you received Jesus who satisfies our appetite? If you have, then we'll come to that. If you haven't, then I say, why not investigate it? From this point on, I'm not going to call you forward. I'm just saying, investigate it. Investigate whether Jesus is one who could satisfy you. If you have received, then I'd say, keep receiving. That for some of us today, we need to understand that Jesus is able to satisfy our appetite for what has gone on in our life and wants to restore what has happened. And for many of us, it's that we need to get on and declare. That we keep living in that place of understanding what we've received. And we get on and declare. We declare that God is good. We declare praise to God. We seek to create life wherever we can with our words. Let's make those 16,000 words we have daily matter. Because they do. Thank you very much for listening. We're done. I'm not going to pray for us because I'm going to leave us with a question. We're all like, eh, where's the closure? The closure's there. We're done. If you've got children, please do go and get them. If you haven't, you don't have to. You can go and grab yourself a drink. Otherwise, we're done. If you'd like prayer for anything, there'll be some guys at the front, girls at the front who'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, we're done this morning. So thank you very much.